Good morning. The scripture this morning comes from the book of Psalms, chapter 91, verses 1 through 9. You can find that on page 424 in the Black Pew Bible. It will also be on the screen directly behind me. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge. May God bless the reading of his word. The passage that Rindy just read from us is filled with incredible promise of what God says he will do for you. For every person who placed their trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, he is saying, I am your shield. I am the protection over you. Difficult things will occur. You'll go through trial. You'll go through difficulty. But you'll never go through it alone. And nothing can happen to a follower of Jesus that God does not allow. And with that permission, he provides his presence, his power, his provision to be able to walk through it and use it for his honor and for our good. And so I want to encourage you, um, as we're concluding our study in the book of Ephesians, to also remember this passage here in Psalm 91. Because this is part of where the armor of God that we see in Ephesians chapter 6 comes from. It's the promises that God himself would be our shield. And and I don't know, maybe today you've been going through just a real difficulty, a time of great emotional trial, uh, struggle. Maybe you're wrestling with depression. Maybe um, life just seems incredibly hard and you're weary. We need to know that not only is God with us, but his promise is that he is for us. And the way that we grow in our strength, the way that we're able to live out the promises that God has given us is to rest strong in his word and allow that to penetrate your heart. Because here's what happens. Even on those days when, when I'm discouraged, when I'm frustrated, when I feel like I'm a failure, when I come back, and examine what God says, opposed to what my emotions feel, or what other voices may say, or even my own insecurities, I'm brought back to a place of peace, of courage, of security, knowing that God is with us. In the beginning part of Ephesians, when we began looking at it, we we were told this incredible truth. It said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. 
here in the concluding verses, Paul is showing us how to live out that promise, how to apply what has been given to us to our daily life. Because here's the thing, what um, trips us up most frequently is not so much assaults directly from the enemy or assaults and accusations from others. It is the fact that we forget who we are in Christ and we forget how to stand in who he says we are. That's what this armor is all about. And remember, as we've looked at it, we're going we're gonna to conclude that today, but as we've looked at it, it is not our spiritual armor. It is the armor of Jesus Christ. So let's look at that passage here, and then let's begin to, to explore a little bit more about these pieces of armor. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. That is the key phrase, is that we're standing firm in what Jesus has already done for us in his victory. That's what this armor is all about. Verse 14, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication or intercession or praying for all the saints. Every piece of armor that's listed here in Ephesians 6 finds its root back in the Old Testament, mostly in the book of Isaiah and also in the book of Psalms. All those pieces of armor are the pieces of armor that the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus himself, wore in his victory over the enemy and over sin and death. And that's what we stand firm in, is in his accomplishment, in his armor. We proclaim what he has won for us and we stand firm in it. We stand in him, in his character, in his righteousness, in his truth. That's how we put on the armor of Christ. It's what he has done. Not about how good we are, but how great he is. And one of the reasons why that's so important is because that takes the pressure off. I don't have to be brave because I'm not. But I can stand firm in Christ. I can know that he is for me. And if he is for me, as we looked at last week, who can stand against us? Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. When we know that he is with us, it changes everything. I remember um, many years ago when our children were, were younger, just seeing the difference when when something would happen at the house, a noise or whatever, and there was great uncertainty, you know, in, in our case, because we, um, we lived in the mountains, oftentimes it was an animal that was outside, maybe a mountain lion, maybe a bear. Um, and that can be a little unsettling, especially when you're, when you're young, um, not knowing what's, what's out there. But for my children, you know, when dad would get up and he would go check it out, things calmed down. Now, they didn't know that inside, I'm even more scared than they are, 
you know, and I'm not going to necessarily let them know that. But for some reason, having dad be present made all the difference. And, and I remember in my own childhood, the same thing was true. It is even more true when we recognize that God is with us. No matter what we face, he lifts that fear, that anxiety, because he is with us. But it's a truth because we don't see him with flesh and blood that we easily forget. And so I believe the instruction that Paul is trying to give us here is keep remembering who you are in Christ and live like it's true. By faith in Jesus, what we are to do is to continually breathe in his presence so that we can live out his purpose and enjoy his pleasure. That's what he created us to do, to continually breathe in his presence, to remember that his Holy Spirit seals us and fills us, and to ask for him to take up more residence inside of our heart and our life, and then ask him to enable us to live out his purpose and enjoy his presence. That's the secret to joy in life, is doing those three things, and they're all found in Christ. Well, let's, let's, um, we've already looked in depth at the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, but for those who are new, we'll just review this really, really quickly, and then we're going to move on to the other pieces. The belt of truth is what holds everything together. In, in the days when Paul is writing, um, the armor of a Roman soldier, was, everything was connected to that belt. It provided protection. It provided a place for his sword. It held up his, um, connected the breastplate so that it would stay on. Everything was connected to that belt. And that's what truth is. Truth is our foundation of our spiritual life. And truth is not just a series of facts that we either agree with or dis- disagree with. Truth is a person. Truth will always conform to the character and nature of Jesus Christ, to God himself. If it doesn't conform to who Jesus is, who he says he is, not who we think he is, it's not truth. And eventually, it will be proved out. Because what is true all comes out of, flows from his person, from his goodness. Now, we looked at a a promise Um, last week, when he said that the enemy, his strategy is to attack the integrity of God's word and our identity in Jesus. But we've been given armor. And I want you to say this, this truth with me out loud. It's there on the screen. I am alive in Christ. He is my life and my identity. That's the truth we are to live, to remember that we've been given life in him. And that our identity is now not who we were. It's not our failure. It's not our sin. Even though I continue to do both of those, it is not who we are. We are in Christ. He is our identity. He defines who you are and who I am if you've placed your trust in him as Savior. For followers of Jesus, we must hold to what is true because truth gives us a firm foundation to stand on in Jesus' armor. And truth is revealed in the scripture. In fact, Jesus himself said this in John 17, 17, when he's praying for us, he prayed this prayer for you and I. And so we know it's exactly what Jesus wants for you. It is his perfect will. He said, sanctify them by your truth. 
What that means is change them. Make them like who I saved them to be. And the number one thing that I use to accomplish that is the truth of God's word. That's what Jesus is praying for you and me. And if he's praying that, we should pray that as well. Lord, sanctify me by your word, by your truth. Change me so that I become a person whose life, whose thought patterns, whose attitudes, whose love matches what's revealed in Scripture. That's what holds everything together. And that's why, in the same way, the thing that we see Jesus um, proclaiming so strongly against is hypocrisy. Because when those who claim to follow him, like you and I, when we live hypocritical lives, where our love does not match the love that has been given to us in Christ Jesus, when the things that we say do not match the truth of God's word, we confuse the message. We confuse other people. They don't see an accurate picture of who Jesus is. So our life has to conform to his truth, to be changed, sanctified by his truth. This is also what Paul told us in the early part of Ephesians in verse 13 of chapter 1. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. We've been given two incredible gifts of truth. The truth of God, his word, and the truth of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. When those two work together in our life to change us, we grow more and more like Jesus Christ. That's the belt of truth. Um, The second piece is the breastplate of righteousness. And we're to be strong in Jesus' security. Um, Verse 14 says, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Not our righteousness, Christ's righteousness. This is the believer's purity. The breastplate of a soldier was sometimes made of woven chain um, or sometimes made of metal, sometimes made of toughened leather, but it was designed to cover over those most vital organs of the heart and the lungs. And for the Christian, for you and I, for followers of Christ, that breastplate is his righteousness. And we're to live like who he saved us to be. We're to ask him to purify who we are. And that is our strength. That's what covers over our heart. That's what guards our heart, is that we're guarded by the righteousness of Christ and by the desire to have him make us more and more like him. The enemy will attack us with lies, but when we rest secure in the righteousness of Jesus, we are secure. And that's why we have Just like we had a promise that goes with the belt of truth, we have a promise with God's armor of his righteousness. So would you say this with me? Because this is the truth that's realized through this breastplate. I am chosen and adopted in Christ as his beloved. Do you believe that? If not, if you have a tough time believing that, you need to look more and more into the word because that's what he tells us. In fact, the book of Ephesians says those exact words. It uses that we're chosen. It uses that we're adopted as sons and daughters with the full rights of Jesus. 
and that you are beloved. One of the tactics of the enemy is to continually make us think we don't measure up, and it's a half-truth, because in ourselves, we don't. I can never be good enough, but I'm not who I was. You're not who you were. Through Christ, you are a brand new creation, and you are worthy of his love because he says, you are my loved, my beloved, and it's such a beautiful thing. We've been given a new heart. This is what we looked at last week. That that breastplate of righteousness that covers over us also reveals that we've been given the very heart of Christ. He is with us and he is changing us from the inside out. This is our absolute security in Jesus Christ. Well, now let's move on to to some new things because verse 15 tells us this. And as for shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. These boots of of readiness, these boots of the gospel, and gospel simply means good news, the great news of Jesus Christ. This means that we're to be strong in Jesus' purpose for our life. And it's it's so important that we understand that you have a calling. I have a calling. You may not be called to be a a pastor or a worship leader. Your calling may be to to take the good news of Jesus Christ right into the workplace, into that business that you're a part of. It's a calling that is just as high, just as important than anything that we might put underneath the structure of the church or underneath the title of ministry That calling to be Jesus' presence there in the workplace, in your home, in your family, in your neighborhood is the highest call. And he has placed you there strategically. You need to see yourself in that light and to recognize this is part of his his choosing of you and his design for your life is that he has now fit your feet with everything you need to take his good news to the people that you encounter every single day. Isn't that cool? Think about that for a moment. When he's saying, and I love how he, when he's using this illustration, it, it, it again comes from the Old Testament, but he's talking about these boots of peace. It's the one thing that advances everywhere that we go. The first thing that arrives anywhere you go is your feet. I, I don't know if you knew about that, but that's... That's what takes you there. You probably didn't think about it, but that's what arrives first. It's our calling. And so every time you walk into your place of business, you're walking in with this readiness to be able to share good news, hope to the people around you. We're going we're gonna to look at see what that means, but it's so important that you see yourself as having this calling. Every one of us, no matter who you are. And you may not feel qualified, you don't have to. Because it's not your gospel, it's his. It is his good news. And he's given you his word, he's given you his Holy Spirit, and he's sending us forth, he's calling us, he will give you everything you need. One of the great promises that Jesus tells us in the gospels is to not be anxious about what we need to say when we come into a given situation because his Holy Spirit will give you the words to say when we're seeking him. 
So many times we feel limited in sharing our faith and telling others about the hope that we have because we feel like we don't have the answers to all their questions. Let me just put you at ease. You don't have to answer their questions. You couldn't anyway. And that's not really what they need more than anything anyway. They need to know that you care about them and that you're listening. And they need to see what Jesus Christ has done in your life. Because the greatest witness you and I have is not a list of facts. It is not an apologetic argument. It is the transformation of a life that we go from a person without hope to a person who has peace and joy and life in Jesus Christ. Because that's what every person around you ultimately is looking for. And guess what? You already have it. You just need to believe that it's real and that he's calling you to use what he has placed in you to share with others. Now, is it a good idea to learn things, to learn apologetics, to learn more of the word, to have some answers? Absolutely. But don't let fear keep you from sharing what Christ has already done. It is far more powerful than you can ever imagine. One of the, one of the great encouragements to me is, is reading in the Gospels um, in John chapter 4, there's the story of the woman at the well. And, and the woman at the well is this beautiful picture of who Jesus is and the interest that he takes in this woman who's, who's likely outcast, who doesn't really fit with, even within her own culture and society. Um, that's evidenced by when she's coming to the well in the, in the heat of the day. But what's so remarkable is that after she has an encounter with Jesus Christ, she goes with no preparation, with zero training, with maybe even some confused ideas about, um, about the scripture because she grew up in a different religious system. She goes and tells everyone she meets what Jesus did for her. And the result was the whole village comes out and wants to encounter Jesus Christ. Folks, that's what he wants to do in you. He's given you the resources to be able to do that, and it is absolutely beautiful. Well, the picture that we have here with these boots of peace, this is our purpose. Um, a Roman soldier was set apart from the other soldiers of the day because of the quality of their footwear. I know that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us today, but... Um, let me, let me tell you that if you didn't have, especially in, in ancient times, if you didn't have great footwear, great shoes and boots, you would not last very long in a battle. If you didn't have traction to be able to stand firm, and what they would do is the Romans, part of what they had invented was they, they put spikes down through those sandal boots, much like what you would have in, in football cleats today or a track cleats. They had to have nails that were driven in there so that when you put your foot down, it sunk into the ground and gave you an absolute firm standing. Even if the ground was wet and was covered with mud or blood or all kinds of other things, you had secure footing. And it's one of the reasons why the Romans conquered the world. It's because of their shoes. They could stand firm. Whereas others had far less traction in their footwear. God has given you and I even better footwear. 
He's given us a purpose to fulfill that he himself powers. He will make smooth the way before us, and he will enable you and I to stand firm when we seek to live out and say, God, use me this day for your purpose. Whoever you want me to talk to, whoever you want me to serve, whoever you want me to reach out to, would you use me as an instrument to take to them your peace, your hope, your love, your truth? He will give you a firm footing. The gospel of peace is what Jesus brings to us and what we are to take to others. That's really what this is about. The gospel of peace is what Jesus brings to us that we, in turn, are now to take and share with others. Fitting our feet with the readiness of the gospel of peace is also described in 1 Peter like this. Always being ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and with fear. And I love that because here's the thing. Sometimes we're, we're really, really nervous about, you know, how am I going to share my faith? When you live as if Jesus really is within you, others are going to notice there's something different about you. And they're going to they're gonna go through difficulties. They're going to go through hardships. And, and even though they may think Christianity is crazy, maybe they think it's just a myth like, like most people in Prague do. When they see the difference in your life, that you have a hope that is greater than the struggles you're going through, eventually they're going to ask you about it. And and what he's saying here is be ready, be expectant, because I'm going to give you these opportunities. And all you need to do is tell them about me. It's not any more difficult than that. Tell them about what I've done in your life. Sharing the gospel of salvation is ultimately what brings peace between God and humanity. It's also what brings reconciliation between broken relationships, between strife, between the enmity that happens between human and human. Jesus said in Matthew 5, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. Now I want you to think about that verse in light of what Paul is saying here. Jesus came to earth. He stepped down out of heaven, and he physically walked this earth to walk in our shoes, to experience the difficulty, the hardship, the brokenness of this world, and to be our Savior. And now he says, when you carry out my purpose when you seek to be a peacemaker, helping others discover peace between God and them and peace within one another, you're living like me. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons and daughters, would fit just as well, the sons and daughters of God. When you're fulfilling your purpose, what God says is, there's my daughter. Look how she is carrying out the message and mission of Jesus Christ. She's mine. Isn't that cool? Isn't that what you want to hear? Is that whispered into into your subconscious, the Lord is cheering you on saying, you go, son. You go, daughter. I'm so proud of you. That's what he's saying. 
I get excited about it. 2 Corinthians 5 puts it this way. And I want you to listen to this connection because oftentimes we only read the first part of this verse. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You are changed. You have a new identity. You have a new character, the character of Jesus Christ, his breastplate of righteousness. All this is from God, just like the armor is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us what? A ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's our job assignment. The reason he's given us these gospel boots of peace is because we are to take his reconciliation, his hope to everyone around us. And he says to each and every person in this room who believes in Jesus Christ, you are my ambassador. Isn't that a high calling? I mean, we, we think about it, you know, an ambassador is, is an incredible role because it's their job to make connection with people that are different than them, people from different backgrounds. That's their assignment. And that's what he's given to us. He's given us this incredible assignment. And with it, I mean, one of the things that we need to absolutely remember, when you go as an ambassador from whatever country you may be from, if you were serving as the ambassador, you go with the full authority and weight and power of your government behind you right? Well, we have something far greater because what did Jesus say? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all peoples. He's sending us out as ambassadors, fully equipped with his authority. We don't need to be fearful or timid or shy. We are his ambassadors that he has called and has sent out fully in his authority. You should get excited. You really should. I'm telling you. Let it in. God chose you to be his ambassador. But here's the thing. The enemy will constantly attack your purpose and calling. He wants you to get sidetracked into pursuing other things. And it may not be bad things, it may be good things. But if he can get your life sidetracked into pursuing success or fame or finances or anything else that is temporary, then he keeps us from pursuing the very thing that we are called to do, being ambassadors who bring forth a ministry of reconciliation. Think about the division in our world. All you have to do is, is unfortunately look on Facebook and all you see is division or listen to the news from any of our home countries and you hear story after story of just how divided our world is. The answer is not going to come from a new political candidate or party. The answer comes 
from us being ministers of reconciliation that bring people to the one person who can change everything, Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do. So rather than get frustrated, which is what I tend to do, by the division that I see, by sometimes the comments that I see by people that I, that I love who still frustrate me by the things that they openly share on Facebook, and you just want to go, could you just click unsend? Could you just edit that and not say that again? Instead of being frustrated by it, ask the Lord, Lord, you've called me to be an ambassador to bring the good, the good news of your peace and of reconciliation to all people. Show me how to do that today. Let it fuel you to fulfill your purpose and calling and not get frustrated over whether they are or not, but let it be a catalyst for us. God's armor, the gospel of peace, is what we're called to do as a purpose And here's the great promise. Say this with me. I am accomplishing Christ's work by pursuing his calling for my life. Let's say it one more time. I am accomplishing Christ's work by pursuing his calling on my life. Isn't that what you want to do? At the end of the day, when our life is over, we want to hear the Lord say, well done. You did what I called you to do. There is no greater award. There's no greater reward we could ever receive than that. He calls us, though, to be obedient and to go forth and to share his goodness. Well, verse 16 also tells us that in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. The shield of faith is an incredible picture. We, we looked at it already in the Old Testament, how Isaiah um, chapter 59 talks about this shield of faith. And also we see it in Psalm 91. And all through the scripture, we see that God himself says, I am your shield. And so when it says a shield of faith, it's not a shield that we just work up enough emotion and belief in ourselves or even in in religion or in Christianity. Um, It's a shield of faith because of who the faith is in. God himself is that shield. He is the one who covers over us, just as we read in Psalm 91. He covers over us with his wings. He protects us with his shield and with his buckler, which is that small little piece of armor that would be on on, um, one of the arms that provided additional defense. He says, that is who I am. And this is the believer's certainty. The shield portrayed here was a large shield that was was almost the size of a door. Um, In ancient times, in in Roman times, uh, they were they tended to be a little bit shorter than we are today, um, at least a little shorter maybe than I am today. And so that, um, that shield would be over a meter high. And so it would cover most of their body. And it would be, um, before going into battle, they would soak it with water. The leather covering over the, the top of that shield would, be, would have water poured on it so that it could put out any flaming arrows that were sent towards it. It was designed to to not only protect, but to extinguish the assaults and the attacks of the enemy. And he's saying for us as believers in Christ, 
our shield is God himself, our belief and our trust fully in who he is that will extinguish every assault of the enemy. When he brings accusations against you, the way that that fiery arrow that penetrates right into your your thought life, right into your heart, the way that it's extinguished is by remembering who God is and who you are in him. He is our shield. When temptations come against you, the way to extinguish that arrow and to, to protect our heart and our life is to remember who we are, that God himself promises to be our shield that he will, with temptation, always provide a way out if we are looking to him. God does not tempt us. He will use trials. He will use temptation to purify us. But they don't come from him. He gives us the power to escape them and extinguish the assault of the enemy. And it's so, so cool. The shields protected the soldiers from getting burned and protected them from every other weapon that would be brought against them. But there's one other aspect of the shield that I think is incredibly important that often goes missed. In Paul's day, when he would have pictured physically this shield as a representation, it would have been a picture of a shield like you see on the screen that could be linked together as a shield wall. One of the strategies that the Romans had learned so very well was to be able to to make the tortoise. That's what they called it. Where you would have this wall of shields in front and the next row behind would take their shields and place them up over, over their heads so that no arrow could even come in over the top and attack anyone in that formation. This is the picture of the church. We need one another. Your faith and my faith, because it is rooted in one person, God himself, is interconnected. And we need one another for protection. This is why it's so important that we be part of a local body of believers. That our lives be connected, not just to come on Sunday, but for you and I to truly get connected within the life of that church because we need one another to build us up, to protect us. I need your faith. I need your prayers. I need your encouragement. And you need those of every other person in this room. The only way that we stand firm is that we stand firm in our faith together, just like this shield wall. In two weeks, we have... um, we have our ministry fair coming up, and it's an opportunity for, um, for newcomers to come because this time of year is a, is a big time of transition. Um, our regular folks are beginning to come back into town, and new folks are joining us, and it's a time for you to find out where can I plug in, not just on coming to, to church on Sunday morning, but get involved in a small group and find a ministry to serve in. And so in two weeks, um, we're going to have this, this ministry fair on October 6th. And so if you have, if you're one of the leaders of a small group or of a Bible study or of a ministry leader, you need to be thinking and dreaming how you can do your best to outdo everyone else and get more people into your group, okay? Bribes, go for it. It's not spiritual, but it works. Chocolate won't bring me in, but 98% of the rest of the world, chocolate will draw to your presence, okay? So you be thinking about ways you can tell others about your small group because that's where life is found. 
You know, a couple weeks ago, we had the joy of having the, the young adults over and just watching their connectedness was so encouraging and refreshing. They're doing life together, and that's what we all need to do. And the Lord has blessed us with some amazing small groups and Bible studies here in this church. And so we want to encourage you to check it out. If you're going to be in Prague, you know, for three months or six months or a year or for an undetermined amount of time, you need to get connected with other believers. Don't stand there on your own. And I recognize when folks come, you need to check out the other churches. We have great churches that do um, both in English and in Czech that you can be a part of all across the city. All of, uh, virtually all of them are really good. You got some great options. Just make sure you get connected. Please. If this isn't the right place, if you think the preacher's weird, that's okay. There are plenty of other ones. Just get connected, okay? Don't be alone. We need one another. And the shield of faith gives us this promise. Would you say it with me? We can, if you, thank you for putting that up, by the way. Next, somewhere after that, I have a slide that says, God's armor, there it is, thank you. Way to go, Sylvester. God's armor, the shield of faith. Would you say this with me? I am not alone in Christ. I am united with others through faith in Jesus. That's the shield. Jesus himself is the one who covers over us, but he's designed us to be linked together. We need each other. Well, finally, um, oh gosh, two more, really quick. The helmet of salvation. We're to take captive every thought. 2 Corinthians 10, 5 and Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 tell us this, that the attacks that happen on our, uh, in our thought life are often what is most deadly. And, you know, chances are you're not going to go into ba- to battle and forget your sword, but you might forget your helmet. You might not take captive every thought. And if you get wounded in the head in battle, you're out. That's where also spiritually the enemy attacks you in your mind. But we have good news that we have the mind of Christ we have been given incredible resources. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Fear and anxieties are battles first and foremost of the mind. Sometimes um, aspects of that can have a chemical, physical source and root, and you need to, to seek medical care in the midst of that. But there will almost always be a mental component as well. And that component is spiritual. We need to seek the Lord and have him take captive our thoughts. And we need to remember the promises that God gives us in the midst of fear. John 4, 1 John 4, 4 says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That is our promise. Jesus had a lot to say about this. In Matthew chapter 5 and in Luke chapter 12, he, takes, he speaks a lot about our anxieties and how we need to learn to place our trust, our mental trust, firmly in who God is. God's armor in the helmet of salvation 
says this about us. Would you say it with me? I am not afraid in Christ. He cares more about me than I do. He will provide all I need. That's the truth we cling to. And finally, we have the sword of the Spirit. We're to take action in pursuing Jesus' promises and the power of prayer. That's what the, the scripture says. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And it goes on to not only say pray for ourselves, but to pray for every other believer, to intercede on behalf of others, to link our lives together just as those shields are linked together. This is how we do spiritual warfare is by learning the promises of God, praying the promises of God for ourselves, for our families, and for one another. The sword of the Spirit is the word of God. When you are tempted, the most effective weapon that God has given to us as believers is his word. This is what Jesus demonstrated and he modeled for us so beautifully during his temptation. He answered the temptations of the enemy every time with it is written, with what God said, that's what he believed. That's what he lived. That's what we are to do as well. He used the sword of the spirit to defeat the enemy completely. He gave us an example. And and he tells us in the scripture in Hebrews chapter four that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but are all naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God's word will penetrate your life Sometimes it will be incredibly uncomfortable. It will be convicting, but it's convicting for our good. God will bring conviction because he wants to set you free. We need his word. Revelation chapter 12 reminds us that the one who wields the sword of the spirit, Jesus Christ, who is our savior, is also soon to be our returning king. And his description in Revelation says this, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw the seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like the son of man, clothed in a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest, and the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in the firmest. And his voice was like the roar of many waters, and in his right hand he sell He held the seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. We need to remember that the one who has given us these great promises is also the one who will return as judge and king. He's given us the resource now to use to live out his victory but we need to know his promises. We need to live his promises. And so in your bulletins today, I've given you um, just a little guide to help you zero in to learn some of the promises of God that he has for you and for me so that we, we don't just read about them and go away, but we meditate on them 
and we make them a part of who we are so that we can live out victoriously in the armor that Jesus Christ has provided for us. So I want to encourage you this week to look for them. There'll, there'll be an area in your life where you need to be more deeply rooted in the promises of God. Pick some of those out. Look them up. Maybe write out the verses. Put it on your mirror for where you get ready in the morning so it'll remind you. Find a place that you're looking at it frequently and allow it to become a part of who you are and you will be changed. If you're wrestling with anxiety, with fear, look for the promises about how God will protect us, how he goes before us. If you're struggling with feeling inadequate, look for the promises about what he says about you, about who he says you are and how much he loves you. Look for those promises and make them a part of who you are. Because here's God's armor. His armor is this, the sword of the spirit and the prayers of the saints. With that, we have this truth. I am armed. Would you say it with me? I am armed with God's promises and with the power of prayer. We need to know that and live it. And what is more, you need to look at those promises and say, Lord, what promises do I need to pray over my friend? They're going through a hard time. They're feeling empty and discouraged. What do they need? You know, oftentimes we just don't know how to pray for somebody else. And so we just lift them up. Lord, would you bless so-and-so? That's great. But how much more powerful to pray the word of God for them. Because we know that his promises, in fact, the scripture says all his promises are yes in Jesus Christ. So we're praying exactly what that person needs and exactly what God promises he will do when we pray his word over others. That's how we wield the sword of the Spirit, the armor of God. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I recognize that being able to communicate the depth and wonder of what you've given to us is a task far beyond my ability. But Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to each and every person here today. Lord, draw them, help their minds to zero in on one of your promises today and make that a part of their life. Speak to them what they need to hear and change us, Lord. Don't allow us to go from this time together, from this time in your word and this time of worship together unchanged. Do a work in us because we proclaim, Lord, we need you, Father. You are the one who is victorious. You are the one who is mighty in battle. You are the one who proved your victory over sin, over death, over the fall, because you, Jesus Christ, rose from the grave, and therefore we go forth in your glorious victory. Let that truth become who we are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.